If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We're in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 17. A multitude snatched from the kingdom of darkness. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger no more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor the heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them into living waters, fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for how it speaks to our hearts. Thank you that we have a truth to go to in a world that is literally running from the truth. And Holy Spirit, teach us today things you want us to know through this teaching. You speak to everyone differently. Speak to each one of us in our area of need. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now again, I'm glad you're here. And just another plug for the home groups. If you haven't signed up for one, please. There's three home groups. Uh, You can sign up for, well... You can sign up for two of them. One of them is full, but you can sign up for two of them. I'd urge you to do that. It gets you intimate with one another, gets you close to one another, and you can ask question after question after question in that setting. In our home group, we're going to go through reviewing some of the things that people don't understand in the book of Revelation. So people can ask me questions or ask the group questions, because I usually say, oh, what do you guys think, and try to deflect it. But anyway, please, join a home group. Uh, God's mercy... By God's mercy, a countless number are going to be saved. The theme of Revelation is this. Jesus is coming, and he's coming. How? He's coming in judgment. He's coming in judgment. Now, last time we met, we talked about the 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists that are going out into the world, and they are going to evangelize the world. And we know they have a tremendous harvest out of every tribe, tongue, and nation, out of every people group. They're very effective. They are called the first fruits. The first fruits in Revelation 14. And the first fruits is this. Remember in the, in, in the spring harvest, the first fruits was a, the, the, the first of the harvest would be given to God and the priest would wave it before God and he would go north, south, east, and west. We're giving you everything, God. This, this is the first fruits and everything that comes is a blessing from you. These witnesses were the first fruits of those saved in the tribulation period. Therefore, I think that they are at the beginning of the tribulation all the way to the end of the tribulation. They are the ones that's, that, that I think were responsible in uh, chap, chapter, six, or ch- yeah, chapter 6, verse 9, where the souls are under the, under the altar. These are the ones that were saved out of, the, out of the beginning of that awful carnage, that 1.7 billion people that were killed in those first four seal judgments. So these guys are responsible for this enormous evangelism from beginning to end. Now we also know that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And you know what that means? 
He was the first one that resurrected, and there's more to come. These 144,000 were the first fruits. There's more to come. We are guaranteed our resurrection because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. These witnesses demonstrate the heart of God. We know that in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Remember that word long-suffering was macrothumia. Macrothumia means patient with people. It means not hasty to anger, not hasty to punish. God is gentle. He is long-suffering with people. But guess what? When you are walking with the Lord, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, a fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, actually the last one is long-suffering, same word, macrothumia. And you'll find yourself getting more patient with people. Strangely enough, you will. You will. <laughs> you will. It's a long-suffering. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.4, God's heart is also expressed. God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Now, how many men? All men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The heart of God is turn and live. Turn and live. But why don't people turn and live? Why when they, we know that all humans, that God is affecting their lives, every single person, the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We know that the Father is drawing everyone to the Son. We know Jesus said, if I am lifted up in John 12, I'll draw all men to myself. We have the whole Godhead involved with humanity, drawing people to the truth and drawing people to God. But yet people stiff arm him and say, we don't want you, God. Why is that? Well, there's an answer for you in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, but men loved God darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. But I want you to know this, no matter what Antichrist does in this tribulation period, no matter how many lies the false prophet puts out, no, much, no matter what Satan does during this time frame, God will have a people for himself. Out of that carnage, there's going to be a great harvest of souls, a tremendous miracle that will happen. Every, every tribe, tongue, and nation, a multitude snatched from the kingdom of darkness. Now, remember, this time will be so terrible that in chapter 6, verse 8, it was described as death and Hades, hell itself. Jesus Christ is in the business of snatching people out of the kingdom of darkness and conveying them into the kingdom of the Son of His love, whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians 1.13. Now, verse 9 and 10, by the grace of God, a great multitude are saved. So, verse 9, after these things, metatawa, after what things? After these 144,000 were sealed, protected from the Antichrist, and were out there evangelizing, after those things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and we know that's salvation, with palm branches, that's celebration in their hands, crying out with a loud voice. And notice it isn't a little soft voice. It isn't just a whisper. In, every, in heaven, everything is just, gr just grandiose, with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God saves, listen to this, a great multitude from every people group in spite of, of the carnage that is going on in the tribulation period. 
in spite of everything that Antichrist is throwing at humanity, God will have a people and he will have a harvest. Now think about this. What does this tell me about God? You know what it tells me? God is not a face looker. God is not a discriminator. God is not prejudiced. You must realize this. Peter, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, the, the, first, the, the big fisherman, he was prejudiced. He did not like the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, the Jews would call the Gentiles dogs. They had no value to the Jewish people. But God made a visitation to Cornelius. God also made, a, who was a Roman centurion, by the way, hated by Peter. But God made a visitation to him so, and told Peter to go to his house. So Peter, a prejudiced Jew, takes, makes an amazing statement when he gets to the house of Cornelius. Watch what he says in Acts 10, 28. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And then he goes beyond that. In 1034, he says this. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And if you look that up in the Greek, he's not a face looker. God is a heart looker, not a face looker. Very important thing to, that we get through our, into our beings. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by God. Now, we have a problem as humans. We have a problem. I don't know if you have this problem. I suspect you do. We get a little arrogant. Hubris, arrogance. We get filled with ourselves. We think we're more important. I deserve that parking spot. I, de I deserve to have that left lane in the freeway completely clear so that I have no problems getting to Detroit. I, I deserve that, okay? That's hubris. That's arrogance. Everybody else should get out of my way. There's a great verse for people like me and maybe like you. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility consider others better than yourself. I memorized this years ago specifically for me. That was a verse for me. I'm not claiming that as my life verse. I don't want to do that. But I'm claiming that as something that helped me. So what does this tell me? All tribes, tongues, nations are saved. Peter knows and Peter tells us that God is not a face looker. This tells me this, that all humanity is made in the image of God. The imago Dei. The imago Dei. And are highly valued. And that we have some of the qualities of our creator, not everything. We cannot, we're never going to be all like God. But he's put into humanity characteristics that he has. Now he's going to have a lot more than this. But that's just a, some of these things. We are communicative. We are creative. We are morally responsible. We are intelligent. We are relational. And we are spiritual. These are qualities that every human possesses. But you know what? That's not the big thing. It goes deeper than that. There's a website called Hebrew for Christians. And it says this, quote, The Torah states, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that God made man and woman, woman, Teslam Elohim, in the image of God. That's Genesis 1.28. Now, it goes on to say this. It means this, that every human life is holy, unique, worthy, profound. Do you ever look at yourself as profound? Do you ever look at yourself as special? Yes, it has, we are to have respect, 
compassion, and understanding. Now, how many humans are made this way? Every human is made this way in the image of God, every and all. So that's the very youngest. That is in the womb with conception, all the way to the very oldest. Now, who do they want to eliminate in our culture today? The very youngest, and now there's more of a move to the oldest. Get rid of these old people. I told Chris 50 years ago that I could see our country changing and that we get old, which we're there now, uh, that we would be, they'd be bumping us out of the way. Say, get out of my way. You already had your life. Look at, we are made in the image of God. We are valuable from the beginning to the end. We are valuable if you're disabled or you're not disabled. We're valued if you're rich or you're poor. We're valued if you're male or female or slave or whatever you are. You are valued by God. You are in the image of God. Every human life bears the image. But hear this. Our world today has, has used race to polarize mankind into warring camps. And let me say this unequivocally. This is sin. This is sin. This is against God's mandate that all humans are made in his image. We are all one race. We are the human race. Please understand that. Now, I want to share with you something. Darwin, who is really the father of evolution, wrote a book in 1859. It was The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection. You might be familiar with that. But what I bet you're not familiar with is the end of that title that they usually cut off because they don't want you to hear this. Watch what the rest of the title is. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Darwin was a racist. Darwin believed that white privilege and the white race was superior to all the other races. And Darwin is now an evolution is what is taught in our universities which is at its core, evolution is racist. You understand that? That's what academia espouses today. What Darwin, a racist, has put out. The catchword today is systemic racism. And, and I would say this. I do not believe it's systemic racism. I believe it's systemic sin. Folks, it is sin, not skin. It is sin, not skin. I've learned a whole new vocabulary in these last five, ten years. Misogyny. I didn't know what misogyny was. Did you know what misogyny was ten years ago, fifteen years ago? You never heard that word. But that's prejudice against women. Now, what that would, that's wrong, okay? We admit that. How about this one? Xenophobia. You're a xenophobic. Really? I am? Is that good? Is that bad? What is it? Sounds like... Uh, some John Travolta movie or something. Xenophobia. <laughs> but that's, that's your prejudice against other, other races, other, other, other people groups. Now, I can tell you there might have been times in my lifetime where I might have been a little misogynistic. There might have been times in my li lifetime when I was a little xenophobic, particularly when I went to Vietnam and you develop a little bit of dislike for those folks that are killing your, your, your troops. And you start calling them names and you start labeling them. That's wrong. That's wrong. Folks, we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. That's the deal. We are all one race and that is the human race. Hear what Paul says in his debate with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers on Mars Hill. 
these, these intelligentsia of, of the Greek society. He says this, Paul on Marcel debating with the philosophers in Acts 17, 24 through 27. He goes right to, the, right to Genesis with these folks. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. Why does he say that? Because the Greeks had all kinds of temples to their gods. We serve the living God, not these made-up gods, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. He gives to all life and breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries. See, God is for borders. Why? Because man can't be trusted. There has to be other nations to hold other nations in check. Can you imagine if Hitler didn't have other nations with borders? He would have taken over the whole thing. He would have taken it. We have, we're so depraved, we need boundaries and other nations to check other nations so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Isn't that great? He is not far from any person. We folks are all one blood. God is a life giver. We are all one people. Now hear this. People devoid of God's ways. God's ways. Fall into competing ethnos groups, separated by ethnicity and color. This is a man thing. This is not, this is sin. This is not a God thing. Remember again, it is sin, not skin. Now, you, when you were a kid, you knew this song, didn't you? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That is the truth. There are one blood. God loves all people. How do I know? I'm making a statement here. How do I know that God loves all people? How can we demonstrate? How was that demonstrated? Well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, his creation, and all the people in the world. That's what cosmos means. God so loved the world that the giving God gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The giving God loves people. He loves everybody. That is absolutely essential. Now, won't it be nice when Jesus comes back, there's no more hatred, there's no more prejudice, there's no more discrimination, there's no more sin. That will indeed be heaven. Don't miss this. The destiny of those in that great multitude, they had white robes, we know that's salvation. But I, the important thing here is this. For these folks that are taken out of the tribulation and they are before the throne of God, for us, when we get up to heaven, when we are before the throne of God, we will know this. We are there exclusively because of Jesus. It wasn't because we were such great, wonderful people. It wasn't because we went to church every Sunday or we went to Bible study. It wasn't because of anything that we did. It's because of Jesus Christ, and we will know that, and that'll be like, like the explosion for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Verse 10 says this, We will know that we know that we know salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. Now get in practice right now. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, good job. Verse 11 and 12, Rejoicing in heaven over those who are saved. 
all the angels stood around the throne and the, and, the, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All of these are breaking out in praise because of this great multitude that is saved. All of heaven is in wonder. Now listen to this. All of heaven rejoices when a single person is saved. Luke 15.10, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't that astounding? Over one. Can you imagine how they're, what they're feeling with this great multitude? All these folks were martyred. All of them died under the pressure of the Antichrist. And don't you think that when they are martyred that they got Jesus' attention? Think of Stephen. Stephen was stoned. And in Acts 7.55, he says this, being full of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's the only way that you're going to be martyred. Be martyred successfully in Stanford. Full of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be you. It's not going to be you saying, I'm Hercules, take me. No, no, it'll be the Spirit of God doing something supernatural in you. And you're going to step forward and go, whoa, wow. That was, I didn't think I'd ever do that. Yes, that's you, God. It'd be God working in us. Being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Remember, his position is seated as our high priest. But oh no, Jesus gets up and he's watching Stephen be stoned. I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You get God's undivided attention when you stand for him here. When you stand for him here. What kind of entrance into heaven do you think these martyrs, these believers had? 2 Peter 1.11. Now, if you remember this, 2 Peter 1.11 is the growth ladder. Add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. That's that ladder. I don't know if you were here for that teaching, but it, the climbing the ladder. Now, look at the ladder of faith. In order to finish strong, you will do it by faith in someone greater than you. That's what will happen. Think about this. This verse, 2 Peter 1.11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you think they received the applause of heaven? Do you think that might have happened? Make no mistake. We will know why we were there. It is only Jesus. He gives you the strength to live this life. It is Him. It is the Spirit of God dwelling in... It is the God in us. He gives you the strength to stand through the tumult and the blizzards of life. And here you go. You get to see this guy again. This is us again. Now look how solid our legs are. You are not moving this dude. That's a picture of a grounded Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, not easily moved by the lies of this culture. Now, that's not such a handsome dude. I mean, maybe if you're a rancher, that's handsome. But for us, but this is a stout animal. We're not easily moved. He's the one who will get you safely home. Jesus will. In the end, it's all Jesus. And folks, we will know it for eternity. Verse 13 and 14, the martyred dead are identified. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? 
And I said to him, sir, you know, John doesn't have a clue. So he said to me, these are the ones that come out of the, notice the word usage here, they've come out of the great tribulation. All these that are saved from the beginning of the tribulation all the way to the end of the tribulation, and it's called the great tribulation. Interesting thought, isn't it? For you who are Bible students. More on that in just a second. And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the elder asked John the question. Let me just suggest something to you. As you mature in your Christian walk, you might be the one asking someone a question to stimulate discussion and thought about where they are on their road to heaven. The older you get in the, in the Lord, the more God is going to use you to stimulate discussion. John reflects the question back to the elder. Oh, you know who it is. John doesn't, again, he doesn't, doesn't know who it is. John is overwhelmed by this presence. He sees this multitude. Now, there must be millions, literally millions of people in this, in this saved group. These are from the great tribulation. And it seems that the work of the 144,000 begins or starts at the beginning of the tribulation. But why? Why do I say that? Because I think that they're instrumental in the souls being under the altar, as I've already mentioned, who have been martyred for their faith in Revelation 6-9. Could it be, could it be that the great tribulation encompasses the entire seven years and not just the last three and a half? Just could it be? That's just a postulate. Could it be that this great multitude encompasses all believers that have been saved from the beginning to the end of that seven years? I think that's the picture here. Whatever the time frame, millions of these earth dwellers will repent and become believers and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life where they have eternal life with our God. Andy Woods makes a comment on this. This is a quote from his sermon on this topic. He says, So, What is happening in the first half of the tribulation period is just as great a tribulation as what is happening in the second half of the tribulation. He says, I mean, it's got to be that way, doesn't it? Because look at all the severe things that are happening in chapter 6. Antichrist, war, famine, death, martyrdom, cosmic disturbances, billions of people killed. Are we saying that's not, not, not going to be so bad? I mean, that seems to me like it's a pretty great tribulation. And so we believe, at least Andy does, that yes, the first half of the tribulation is the great tribulation. The second half is the great tribulation. He says, my goodness, the whole thing is the great tribulation. Arnold Fruchtenbaum agrees with Andy. And there are others people that don't. Some, some disagree. But it's worth thinking about. Anyway, they were washed their robes. Again, they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Remember, salvation is a gift of God. We all are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Remember, sin brings death. Sin brings death. Sin sin brings separation. Every time you go to a funeral, remember the root of a funeral. It is always sin. Sin came into the world and death through sin and death passed upon all men because all men have sinned. So Romans 6.23 says this. There's, There's physical separation at death and there's spiritual separation if you are not born again. You will experience the second death and complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. Okay? But if you're born again, you'll die once physically, but you won't die spiritually. You're always connected to God, instantly before His presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. What is earned from sin is death, but the gift of God. (laughs) 
It's a free gift. It's the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. He wants you to receive the gift. The believer is made pure by the blood of Christ. The only way a person can be accepted by God is to be cleansed by Christ's blood. There's no other way. There's no goodness that's going to get you there. There's no church attendance that's going to get you there. There's no good intentions. There's no other religion that is going to get you there, even though you're hearing more and more today that we all worship the same God. No, we do not. The Judeo-Christian God is the true God. Is the true God. We do not worship the same God and all these other religions. It's only through the blood of Jesus. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, you might not remember this, but at the Passover, when the Jews are getting ready to leave Egypt, they were given a command. Put the blood on the lentil and the doorpost. They were given an instruction. Those Jews had to then carry out that instruction to take the hyssop, dip it in the blood, and then wipe it all over the lentil and the doorpost. Then the death angel came by and passed over them. Folks, we must have the blood of Jesus applied to our life. It doesn't do you any good to know it. You must receive it. See, those guys knew to do it, but if they didn't do it, if they didn't apply it, then they died. We must apply it. All we do is say, you know what you do? This is, this, this is, some people call this a work. This is not a work. I believe. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I receive the gift of salvation. I commit myself to you. I put my trust in you. I repent. I turn to you. Folks, that is what God expects of us. It's a free gift by God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who we need. Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Oh, we're clean and pure because of the blood of Jesus. But make sure, please, it has to be personally appropriated. You can know all about it. You can know about Jesus dying on the cross. You can even believe that Jesus died on the cross. The, day, the devils believe and shudder, folks, but you must personally apply it to your life. That's the difference. That's the difference. And you too will one day be given a white robe because you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, that's good news. That's great news. That's hip, hip, hooray news. That's thank you, Jesus news. Verse 15 through 17, God's promise to this multitude. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. What a promise. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Sounds like they were experiencing a little of that with Antichrist, doesn't it? The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Sounds like they might have been running. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. Lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God's promise to those who are saved. God's promise to those who say yes and receive the free gift and have Jesus' blood applied to their lives is number one this. And hear this. You will have a special place. A place of security. Life on earth can be a little unnerving. It can be a little scary here. And it's getting scarier as the days go by, and it's going to get scarier as time progresses. And we will serve him day and night in the temple. God will dwell with them. You know what that means? Spread his tent over them. This is intimacy. God will be intimate. 
spread his tent over us. The word is skeno, the tent or camp. This is intimacy. God will encamp them, surround them, and tabernacle with them. This is great comfort to the martyrs. This is great comfort to me. One of these days, God will cover me. He will cover me. Verse 15 tells us that in heaven will be a place of rest from all the earthly traumas. Won't it be nice not to remember some of the stuff that's happened to you here? You won't remember it. But also a place of privileged service to our God. A special place. Oh, folks, we have a special place, but we also have continual protection. Protected for eternity by our shepherd. There will be no fear in heaven, and by extension, we should not live with fear here. Because Jesus told us over and over, fear not. By the way, fear not. Trust me. Oh, do you need to hear it again? Fear not, fear not, and fear not. Don't go into a worry. Don't go into a panic attack. Matthew 28, 10, the reason we do not fear is this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of your age. Jesus is with you through this whole thing called the troubles of life. Folks, we have a special place. We, got a, we have continual protection, but also wonderful provision. The Lamb who's in the midst of the throne shall feed them shall lead them unto, unto living fountains of water. Remember, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Can't you just see it in heaven? Jesus walks over here, five million go this way. Jesus walks, five million go this way. Whatever the billions or jillions, whatever it's going to be, just, we just follow him. I want to be as close to him as I can be when I get to heaven. He shall feed them. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. My shepherd will lead me. My shepherd will restore my soul. Then for sure, but even now. Even now, when I yield myself to him. Life is hard. There's all kinds of things that come at us. We get hit from the right. We get hit from the left. We get, we're, we're like ducking around. We're like in a box. This is like Muhammad Ali. Boom, 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 boom. We're, we're getting slaughtered constantly. But my shepherd is with me. He is my protector. He is my shield. He'll guard me. He'll watch over me. It's good to know while we're here. And while we are here, may we not forsake the fountains of living waters. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water. That's the wonderful, clean, flowing provisions of God that he gives us that we have to walk in. We we could choose to do this. And instead, oftentimes we do this like the people of Israel did, who Jeremiah is talking about, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. You know what cisterns are? Stagnant water, putrid water, almost smelly like septic tank water, polluted The Lord has provided for us much and we must take advantage of what he has provided for us. An abundant supply. An abundant supply. Folks, don't forsake the abundant supply for the cisterns of this world who tell you that it's clean and pure and tell you that it's great, but it's really putrid like a septic tank. Folks, we have a special place, a continual protection, a wonderful provision But we also have a blessed, blessed, blessed peace. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
The awful experience, the torture of Antichrist will be wiped away. Now, I want to show you something. There will be no crying in heaven, but there was no crying in the field of their own. When Tom Hanks is saying, there's no crying in baseball. I mean, there will be no tears in heaven, folks. No tears. There will be someone reminding you, there's no crying in heaven. I just thought that was cute. But anyway, no crying. I don't think, I think even in the millennium, this is telling me that those tears are going to be wiped dry. We know in Revelation 21.4, when we go into eternity, remember the millennium will end, and then we'll go into eternity, that every tear will be wiped dry also. In closing, a multitude snatched from the kingdom of darkness. You know, by God's mercy, a countless number are saved during this awful time. And I would want to suggest to you, this speaks to me of the wonderful, incredible, amazing grace of Jesus. The amazing grace of Jesus. Remember the song? Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sins. How shall my tongue describe it? How shall its praise begin? I didn't plan on doing this. Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. And we're going to stop there. You don't have to do, oh, the wonderful grace and that whole thing. But it's the wonderful grace of Jesus. That's what we have. I was just going to read that. I wasn't going to sing that. Something came over me, so okay. Now, things to think about. Things to think about. Look, we're living in a country that's devolving. We have to admit that, okay? Let's, we can't just walk around like this. I'm not here. This isn't happening. This isn't, you know, we have to be honest and real. But we also know that by what God has told us in prophecy, we are to expect these things. So we don't run around in a panic. We don't run around all, all in a tizzy. We know that there has been seminal moments in many of our lives that have happened in our country. And we've said this last week. We've taken the Bible out of school. We've taken prayer out of schools. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of our culture. We've taken the Christian holidays. The scenes are taken out of the culture. Christ out of the workplace. Christ out of the schools. And even Christ out of many of the churches who are allegedly churches. That is what is happening today. And in that void, we've had abortion and homosexual marriage and transgenderism. Even in California, which kind of leads to debauchery in America, they are planning on, or there's a, there's a movement, strong movement, that's going towards pedophilia being legalized. That's an astounding thing. How about drugs being legalized? Let me, let me suggest to you something. The drugs that are being legalized, what do they cause people to do? They become apathetic, and they become more controllable. And there might be a move, there might be an under, undercurrent of this to make people more compliant to what is coming. We'll just get them all doped up, and then people will just passively go through it. Just give up their, their rights. All of this was predicted by our Lord. Why all the upheaval in our world now? What do you think is going on? I think this is what's going on. The God of this age, who by the way is Satan, knows his time is short, and he is exerting more and more influences. The demonic influence have entered into the vacuum created by the removal of the true God. The result of this is that now we have this great move that all religions are the same, as I mentioned before. They are not. Don't fall for that. We know that we see that evil, that people are calling evil good and good evil. Chaos in our streets. Chaos in our governments. 
But you know what's happened more than anything? The nuclear family is being decimated. Children are raising themselves, and children are turning on their parents. Maybe at a greater degree in any history, any time in the history of our country. And this is all predicted in Scripture. Timothy speaks of this. People in mass are doing what is right in their own eyes. This is a consequence of having God kicked out. Satan's goal, of course, is a one-world government, a full government in, a government in rebellion against God, a government that he will control, devoid of God. And you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like hell to me. Something that Satan is in charge. That sounds like you are going to be living in a hellish environment. Globalism is the goal. Marxism is the way, that, Marxism is the way that they're going to try to accomplish it. To attain this, the Christians must be suppressed or eliminated. Now, we know that Satan hates the Jews, and he's had a conspiracy to kill the Jews from the beginning. We know also that the Antichrist will come in and win the, the Jews' hearts. And for the first half of the tribulation, they'll be all hip, hip, hooray for him until he sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God. That's the abomination of desolation. Those who are familiar with the Old Testament and Daniel will know that's their cue to get out of there, that this guy is evil. But two-thirds of them won't. Two-thirds of them will buy into the evil lie and be killed. Folks, I believe we are at the precipice of the true church being extracted from the chaos, protected by God from the wrath of God that seems imminent. Folks, there is a time when God says no more. No more to a nation, no more to a person, and no more to a world that has been in rebellion against him. Scripture calls that the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus takes back planet earth. He will take it back, and he will reign and establish his kingdom. He will use these 144,000 Jews to have many saved during the tribulation period. Their ministry will be effective. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. God will have a people for himself. He will have a people for himself. The great majority, though, will follow the, the lie. They'll believe the lie. Remember, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. And narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The narrow gate is the Jesus gate. It's open to everybody, but it's exclusively him. Think about this. Those who make the decision to believe and receive the gift of salvation will live with God forever in peace, productivity, satisfaction, contentment, and guess what? Adventure. Adventure. You think that God made all of this creation to just let it stand there? I mean, I think we're going to be explorers. I mean, this is just me. I mean, I, he's going to have so much stuff for us forever and ever and ever. One thing that you will never, ever, ever hear in, in heaven is this. I'm bored. <laughs> we just got to Disney World, and you're bored? All right, I can't believe I'm bored. I do not believe that we have the capacity to imagine what heaven will be like. Fact. God is still saving people now. So our job, be a witness. Oswald Chambers says, my utmost for his highest, my greatest for his glory. May that be our creed also. This may cost you popularity. 
It may cost you promotion or position, prominence in our culture, but your reward for faithfulness, folks, will be off the charts. This is our time. This is our time. God put us here especially for this time. We are special people to be able to see this stuff happening right before our eyes. Use your time wisely. Spend the time you have left on the things that really, really matter. Remember, this life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him, our Lord. And you will be forever, ever, ever glad you did. 2 Timothy 2.11 says this, If we endure, we will reign with Him. Until next time, keep looking up. Your redemption is drawing near. And I just love the face. This is how we want to look. Because this thing is coming to an end. And Jesus is coming back. And we will be with Him forever on the greatest adventure of your life. The king is coming, folks. The king is coming. Remember, the marketplace is empty. There's no more traffic in the street. Builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Housewives cease their labors in the courtroom. No debate. Work on earth has been suspended because the king is coming through the gate. And then the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me and you. Yeah, let's pray. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Lord, we have so much hope. We have so much hope. We are not to be hopeless. Well, we see this thing changing around us, but hopeful. You have given us a message to give to people. We know that the majority aren't going to listen, but some will. There will be a few that will hear. And you have those people carved out. You have prepared their hearts. May we join you where you are working. And Father, for us who are struggling maybe family members, work situations, health situations, whatever that situation is, the God of hope knows where we are. May we get our strength from Him. We don't have it on our own. We can't do this on our own. We need You, Holy Spirit, to help us. So fill us, strengthen us, and like that bull, may we take our stand and say, I will not be moved by any blizzard any tsunami, anything this culture brings my way, I will trust in the Lord until I die. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.